Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. My co-host, April Dawson, is on another assignment and is not with us tonight. She is taking a well-earned family vacation. But we're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, which is the sponsor of this discussion. So we thank you for joining us uh, this evening. Every year, law schools graduate thousands of aspiring attorneys who have completed three years of long, hard, difficult studies as they prepare themselves to enter the legal profession. Those who enter have different motivations for, for pursuing a law degree. But by the time that they graduate, most will have focused on a particular area of the law in which they will practice. In fact, just this week, hundreds of aspiring North Carolina attorneys took the semi-annual bar examination, which seeks a license to practice law in this state. The history of the legal profession and the legal system documents many years of systemic exclusion or minimization of African-Americans from practicing in critical areas of the law. Over the past two decades, however, tremendous strides have been made within the profession to address and overcome the discrimination which African-Americans and people of color have been subjected to within the system. One of the areas of exclusion has been as prosecutors within the criminal process. In criminal court, a long-term reality is that the court system has been a white-only environment. Tonight, we will discuss the long road to address this very real exclusion within the ranks of prosecutors and the motivations, burdens, and accomplishments that racial minorities experience in this critical area of legal practice. Our guest is a former federal prosecutor who has recently joined the ranks of the North Carolina Central University School of Law as a professor and is able to share her prosecutorial experiences with our students and assist them to navigate their legal education in a way that can lead them to become prosecutors. In our efforts to fully educate future lawyers, it is important to show students that they are role models and shoulders upon which they can stand as they enter this area of the profession. Our guest tonight is Professor Tamika Moses, who teaches criminal procedure, evidence, and legal writing. She formerly was an assistant attorney general for the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of North Carolina. Professor Moses obtained her BA degree from the University of Virginia, a master's of social work degree from Virginia Commonwealth University, and her JD from Howard University. So, uh, Professor Moses, thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me, Professor Joyner. It's great to be here. Well, 
to be clear, uh, Professor Moses has been a guest on this uh, program for several prior discussions uh, on the uh, Legal Eagle Review, but we've never had the opportunity to get into her background and to discuss her entry into the legal profession as a uh, prosecutor. So, uh, Professor Moses, can you just kind of start us out? And this is for our audience because they don't know, and I don't know. Uh -huh. Something about your background. Where, 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 where do you come from? And what was your uh, early history? Oh, okay. That's a good question. So I always label myself um, a military brat. So when you think about where do you come from, I come from many places. Um, <laughs> but I claim Northern Virginia as home because that's where we landed um, towards the end of my um, school age years. So I claim Northern Virginia, Woodbridge, Virginia in particular as home, but I was born in Belgium and I've moved all over the place. Um, so in terms of where I'm from, I say Virginia, but with that military designation. Um, after graduating from high school, I went to the University of Virginia for several years, of course. Um, and I went to the University of Virginia during a very peculiar time, particularly during the time of the affirmative action cases. Um, so as you can imagine, there were a lot of discussions in my classes about Black students taking the seats of others and whether or not we were qualified to be at the university. Um, and so that made my experience there very rich, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase. Um, but I enjoyed it and I'd do it again. And it kind of lit this fire in me to do something um, within the system generally. Um, my original plan upon graduating was to get an MSW JD degree, um, but I ended up just getting the MSW. And after a few years of working as a social worker in Virginia, first in Richmond and then in Alexandria, I decided, decided to go back and get that JD because I still had that desire to do something about the criminal justice system in particular. Um, so I applied only to one school, <laughs> and that was Howard University because I knew that's where I wanted to be. Um, got in and, and did my three years there. Well, you know, I I, I know I'm, I'm I'm going to get a lot of flack from the uh, social workers that uh, <laughs> that's in our audience, but uh, what was there that was unfulfilling about the uh, social work uh, profession and your work there? Because social workers perform a very uh, important function. Yes, they do. Uh, within, within, within our society, within our uh, system, and uh, they kind of teeter on the edge of, uh, of, of legal practice anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, so what was it that uh, caused you to cross the line yeah. and to uh, seek the uh, JD degree? It, it's funny you ask that, because when I originally um, sought out social work as a profession, um, my work and my volunteer at um, volunteer time at Madison House in Charlottesville kind of was a catalyst for me getting into social work. I met so many incredible kids who had these disadvantages because their parents were either in the system or their, their family was involved in some kind of way in many ways. And so I thought social work was one way to help, you know, those children grow, to help their communities and things like that. Um, but what I found was that I was limited in terms of impact. Right, what I could do as a social worker was limited to just that particular family. And I didn't see the larger impact within the community that I was seeking. Um, and so I, again, that's what really made me go back to law school because I thought I could do something um, on that end. 
Um, and what I'd add to that is even when I got my MSW, the focus isn't even on the clinical side, it was on policy and administration, because again, I thought I was going for a larger push. Um, and so once I wasn't seeing that in my work as a social worker, that's when I decided to pivot into the law. Now, typically when, when, when racial minorities, particularly African-Americans enter into the uh, uh, practice of law or the study of law, uh, a main motivating factor is the desire to defend, mm -hmm. uh, to defend against the uh, encroachment, uh, the denial, uh, the uh, discrimination that, uh, that we face within uh, the system. And uh, so that's a kind of expected notion. Uh, what was it, though, that uh, excited you or motivated you to move toward thinking about the prosecutorial side <laughs> of, the, uh, of the system? Yes, absolutely. So, of course, naturally, like you mentioned, when I thought system, I thought criminal defense all day long. Um, but I clerked after law school for about two and a half years for a wonderful judge in Baltimore, Maryland, George L. Russell III. Um, and he just happened to be a career prosecutor. Um, so we would talk a lot about his experience um, at the U.S. Attorney's Office in, in, in Maryland and the impact he believed he was able to make as a prosecutor. And in, at the same time, I'm having those conversations with him. I'm speaking to other folks who are also saying, you know, maybe you could do more on the prosecution side than you can on defense mainly because people think prosecutors generally have that discretion, right, to charge or not to charge, to request a particular sentence, et cetera. Um, and that really drew me to that side of the V, for lack of a better phrase, um, because I thought I could do more with that discretion in that position. And so that's why I went ultimately with prosecution, starting with the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. after my clerkship. Well, you know, uh, many, many people, and this is over the years, and I'm not trying to uh, date uh, myself, uh, but the old picture of criminal prosecution was the uh, African-American defendant uh, sitting in the uh, defendant's chair and everyone else in a position of power or participation in that process were white, uh, such that we were looking at white justice and white uh, justice determinants uh, who lorded over an African-American such that the African-American or the racial minority uh, seemed victimized or overwhelmed by the entire process. And uh, that resulted from a long history of exclusion Mm -hmm. of African-American and people of color from the prosecutorial ranks. Uh, did that reality impact you in any way as you thought about uh, moving into the uh, prosecutorial realm? Yeah, I, I think it was definitely a part of the reason I went on that side um, because I wanted to be among the few who were represented in the courthouse. Um, and to show um, mainly that we can also do this job and we can do it well, um, that our experiences matter in this process, um, and that we as African-American or color people of color um, who are prosecutors kind of had this filter um, that we kind of view each case through. 
Um, and I just wanted to make sure that I highlighted the importance of that, because as you've mentioned, um, when it is a primarily white dominated system and process, um, often the defendant of color kind of gets the short end of the stick because not everyone is looking at that individual situation as a whole when taking into account what to charge or what to recommend for a particular sentence. Yeah. And for our audience, uh, I, I think I, I, I'm not uh, overemphasizing the importance of the role, but to say that the prosecutor is probably the most powerful person within the criminal process uh, because of the ability to make the decisions about uh, whom to charge, what to charge, uh, how vigorous the prosecution is mm -hmm. going to be. And uh, so those powers place them in a position that they have more impact on Absolutely. the criminal process than do the judge, yes. uh, even in the case. Because we typically think of the judge as being the most powerful figure uh, that's, uh, that, that's there. So we certainly uh, applaud you for making that decision. But as you looked around your uh, environment, did you see any person that looked like you that was in that role? In the role in the sense of making um, these critical decisions? Well, being a prosecutor, yes. Yeah. It, it, Luckily, I was in, in, in both of my locations, I was in environments where there was um, a diverse group of prosecutors. Um, so in, in, in DC, of course, there were several of us who were of color. And then of course, when I got down to Raleigh, um, there was a smaller amount of us, but we still had um, a few who were also uh, prosecutors of color in that environment. Okay, that, so that, that, that's, that's, that's interesting because of where you were, mm -hmm. which didn't necessarily mirror what was happening in other parts of the country. Oh, absolutely. Where, yeah, where there were kind of an absence. So that gave you, I think, a, uh, a, a head start or a boost uh, yes. in uh, being able to deal with the process. But when you moved from clerking, uh, which is uh, an, an admirable uh, position to uh, be in, uh, highly sought out by uh, many people in the in the profession. What were the reactions of your friends and your family uh, when you informed them that you were going to be a uh, a prosecutor? Well, I'll say at the outset that both of those groups, my friends and my family, are generally supportive of whatever I want to do. Um, but I will say the reactions were, were, were a little different between the two. So when it comes to family, um, of course, the family is just proud, right? They're just happy that, you know, you got something. And I, I just remember my mother in particular being so excited that it was, you know, the federal system, right? Oh, you're going to the federal U.S. attorney's office. So, you know, just pure elation, <laughs> Um, but on my friend's side, I think um, for them, they were more inquisitive. Like, you know, is, is this something you're 100% into? Is it going to be a good match for your personality and your goals ultimately? Um, because within my friend group, I have those who are more defense-minded, who don't really believe you can do the work on the prosecution side and that it can only be done on the defense side. I have, to this day, I have very close friends who are still defense attorneys or were defense attorneys. And we still have these debates about prosecution or, or defense, which one makes the greatest impact. 
And I think for me, my position has always been that the system works best when we work in tandem, right? Where the prosecution is actually using some restraint when it comes to what they decide to charge or recommend for a sentence. And the defense side is actually being a zealous advocate for that defendant to make sure that all the rights are protected um, that's afforded to that particular defendant. So between the two groups, family and friend, I say a mixed bag, but both were really supportive. All right. Well, this is the uh, Legal Eagle uh, Review, and we are talking with Professor Tamika Moses, uh, who is a professor at the North Carolina Central University School of Law and a uh, former uh, assistant attorney general uh, with the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of, uh, of North Carolina. And we're talking about uh, her experience as a prosecutor. Uh, within the uh, system before she became a, a part of the uh, faculty at North Carolina Central University uh, School of, uh, of, of Law. And we're talking to her because this is an area of the law that many people don't really understand or appreciate the importance of our presence uh, in this uh, very important area of the law. So we're gonna continue uh, this uh, discussion after we take our break. Uh, so stay with us and we will be right back. North Carolina Central University School of Law was founded in 1939 to provide opportunities for African-American students to become lawyers. Embracing our heritage, the mission of NCCU Law is to provide a quality, personalized, practice-oriented, and affordable education to historically underrepresented students from diverse backgrounds to increase diversity in the legal profession. We empower our graduates to become highly competent and socially responsible lawyers and leaders committed to public service and to meeting the needs of underserved communities. NCCU Law is excited to announce the creation of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center, made possible by the generous pledge of $5 million by Intel Corporation. The mission of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center is to produce technology-conscious lawyers who will use technology in alignment with the law school's mission to, one, facilitate the efficient, effective, and ethical practice of law, and two, increase the access of legal information and services to underserved communities. You can learn more about the Technology Law and Policy Center by visiting the NCCU Law website. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review. Thank you so very much for staying with us. Uh, I'm Irving Joyner. And uh, as I indicated at the uh, top of the uh, show, my co-host April Dawson is not with us uh, this evening in person. She is certainly with us in spirit uh, as we uh, move forward. And we are talking with Professor uh, Tamika Moses, uh, who is a uh, criminal procedure and evidence professor at North Carolina Central University School of Law, talking specifically about uh, African-Americans as prosecutors within uh, the uh, criminal process and uh, looking at her uh, past uh, role and experience in being a prosecutor 
in helping you to understand uh, the role and power of, uh, of prosecutors and the uh, barriers and hurdles that uh, she dealt with as she uh, navigated herself through uh, the system. Uh, so again, Professor Moses, thank you so much for uh, for being with us. Want to just kind of we talked about your family and friends and their their reactions, uh, and you were in a friendly environment uh, in the uh, D.C. Maryland uh, area where uh, there are a host of uh, African Americans who are in very high places and important uh, positions within the uh, system. Uh, you navigated then to North Carolina, uh, where the uh, complexion of the office changed uh, considerably. Can you kind of talk about, and this is not necessarily uh, uh, peculiar to you, but the reactions of white prosecutors and supervisors to the presence of African Americans who are now on the upswing in the uh, in the area of uh, criminal uh, prosecution. So, can you just kind of talk about what is expected and some of the reactions that poses uh, pose barriers for you as you uh, uh, sought to do the work as a prosecutor? Yeah. So, I think what's best is is for me to break it down like internal versus external. So um, I'll start with the caveat that, of course, I was in highly metropolitan areas. Um, so internally within the offices, um, the reactions from white prosecutors was always positive, right? They're, they're happy to have you on their team, happy to help you out, show you the ropes um, anytime you need to help. I've always had no problems within the office with the, the colleagues that I had um, in each of the locations. They were always extremely supportive um, and very helpful. I think where most of the friction came was outside of the office. So in the court or from opposing counsel. Um, outside of the office, there's opposing counsel sometimes who are very skeptical of the black prosecutor, particularly opposing counsel that looks like me, right? That are that are brown or are persons of color. They don't they don't believe that um, some people people of color should be prosecutors. They believe you know the defense is the way. That's the only way to improve this system. And so I was treated um, pretty poorly a lot um, by opposing counsel who looked like me and even opposing counsel who, who didn't look like me because, because of this general disdain um, for prosecutors generally. Um, within the court, I think the friction more so came from folks who didn't know I was the prosecutor, right? Like <laughs> surely, surely you're the defense attorney or, or you're a relative of a defendant or you a spectator, you know, why are you sitting at this table? Things like that, right? Where people don't realize that the black woman in the suit is actually the prosecutor assigned to this case. Um, so I did get some of that um, within the courthouse. And then of course, there's the judges within the courthouse that um, had those microaggressions, right? Like, um, and some were equal opportunity, doesn't matter if you were white, black, purple, whatever, but others seem to be a little more harsh <laughs> with the prosecutors of color or, or, you know, subjected them to more questioning, more skeptical of the representations being made in court, things like that. Um, I definitely encountered and or observed um, during my time as a prosecutor. 
But I will emphasize that internally, I think because everyone is kind of in this shared role, um, we all want each other to do well. So there isn't, I didn't receive anyway, and I didn't observe much friction within the office um, for uh, people of color who were prosecutors. Well, one of the, uh, the areas that you talk about was uh, dealt with African-American defense attorneys uh, who uh, you uh, dealt with. And I don't know how many uh, cases you uh, handled in which African-Americans were the defendants uh, in cases. Can you, can you kind of talk about the, 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 the tug that you, that you had when you were dealing with African-American uh, defendants? Uh, in cases, and you were viewed uh, by the other side as being a, a pawn for the system, mm -hmm. and that uh, here you were doing uh, the work of, and this is uh, in, in quotes, the white man, uh, <laughs> to uh, bring a brother down or to bring a sister down uh, in the uh, in this uh, in the criminal uh, uh, system. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I will say one of my strengths has always been to. Uh, keep my eye on the prize, meaning that no matter how nasty opposing counsel can be or, or whatever the friction uh, may be during our interaction, I would never take it out on that particular client, right? So my tug was always, um, do I continue to do what's right in terms of what I'm charging, in terms of what I'm advocating in court um, for this particular defendant in their particular circumstance? Or do I allow the defense attorney or the person who's given me this friction to pull me in another direction? Um, I've had colleagues who are just like, well, that defense attorney is a jerk. So, you know, this is what they're going to get. Um, but I've always been on the opposite side. Like, this is what I'm going to do, regardless of how you treat me, regardless of if you say hi, bye or nothing. Right. Because at the end of the day, when we think about the system of, in this criminal justice system, we really need to look at the defendant the circumstances of his or her case and their life circumstances to determine how to proceed in this particular matter. So in terms of the tug, I just always wanted to remain neutral, centered, grounded, and make sure that I wasn't unnecessarily penalizing the, the defendant for the acts of their attorney or someone in court or whatever. Uh, you know, the, the, and, and there's also the, uh, the friction that uh, you deal with with the uh, law enforcement uh, who bring the cases, who mm -hmm. uh, gather the uh, evidence uh, that they bring to you. And, and I think for our audience, you need to know that typically in federal court, you're dealing with high level crimes, uh, unlike uh, district court uh, at the uh, state level or even superior court at the, uh, at the state level, uh, you're dealing with some more minor type offenses, not to say that crime is minor, uh, but it is to say within the uh, hierarchy of uh, severity of, uh, of outcomes, there's, uh, there's significant uh, differences. So when you talk about the federal system, you're talking about uh, a more high-powered uh, uh, prosecution and system and judgments that you're going to, uh, to enter. But in every instance, Typically, the, uh, the law enforcement officers uh, that's bringing these cases uh, to you for review are white. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and oftentimes, their uh, differences of opinion as to appropriate charges 
uh, the processes uh, that uh, you need uh, to follow because a lot of law enforcement think they know more about the law uh, than anyone else. Can you kind of talk about it, you know, to our audience, the, the, the tug uh, that exists there and, 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 and the racial animus that might pop up in some of those uh, interactions? Yeah, that's it's funny you bring that up. So because I started in DC, I had the beauty of, of addressing a wide range of cases, right? From the very minor to the more serious white collar crimes. Um, and <laughs> it, you'd be amazed at this tug of war between law enforcement who's like, this is my case, it's my baby, who then bring it to me or a prosecutor, you know, to, to assess whether or not some charges should be brought. And they want to tell you what charges need to be brought and why the facts support those charges and what you should recommend. And unluckily for them, I'm a very um, direct individual. Uh, so it took sometimes, depending on the officer, a few meetings of us just getting together and talking so that I can reassert the fact that, hey, I'm the prosecutor. I'm the one running this show. Thank you for bringing this case. But I make the decisions here, right? And I've had several I've had instances where I've had to have several conversations with an officer, say, look, if we're not gonna do it my way, we're not doing it. You can talk to my supervisor if you wanna get this reassigned, but I'm the one in charge, right? And, and I'd, I'd have to reassert that over and over and over again. Not in the majority of my cases, some people got the, 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 the program and, and they understood that I was gonna do what I wanted to do at the end of the day, but there were some where it was just more of a fight and I had to bring in some a supervisor or someone above the officer to help them understand <laughs> that I was the one running the show, right? And yes, some of that um, was racially motivated in terms of the friction between us, right? Um, you know, who are you to tell me as this black woman what we're going to do with this particular case? Um, but I also think some of it is just uh, law enforcement generally, both black and white. Sometimes when they spend so much time with the case. They truly believe that they have it all together and all you need to do as a prosecutor is what they put in the paperwork, right, in terms of charging decisions and things like that. And because they spend so much time with this case, they really don't understand sometimes that the buck stops with the prosecutor and, and, and we're going to make the one, we're going to make the decision at the end of the day. Um, so I like to think that I did a really good job of just asserting my position and letting everyone know that I'm the one in the driver's seat, right? Going to the back. I got this, but we will continue to work together um, on this particular case. So you're, you're absolutely correct. There was always that tug of war, um, but it was really important for me to kind of set the tone early and let folks know who the prosecutor was and, and who law enforcement was in this whole partnership. Well, let me just throw in a, another uh, dynamic uh, to 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 your your consideration and and, and have you to talk about uh, also the impact that you are a uh, female, uh, and some people may not notice that, uh, but an African American uh, standing alone will encounter some problems within uh, the profession. But then there's also this notion of female. Mm -hmm. And uh, the uh, this notion that, uh, you know, who is this woman uh, telling me what she is going to do when I have and I hold all of the cards uh, in this uh, matter? So was there a distinction that you felt uh, between how you had to encounter matters as a female as opposed to as an African-American? Mm 
or did they kind of merge together? You know, for the most part, I felt like they merged. The only time I felt a difference was probably in court, right? During oral argument or during a motions hearing or something like that. I felt like I, if I felt like I was getting more of the questions, more of the skepticism, things like that. Sometimes I thought that was more gender related than, than race related, but more often than not, I, I felt like the two merged. Um, and within the office and in, in, in working with law enforcement and others, I thought again, that I could kind of control things, set the tone and we'll be fine. But when it got to court, that was a different dynamic. Um, and there were times when I definitely felt like I was putting, being placed on the spot unnecessarily. Now, let's be clear, I had everything together. I got all your answers, no problem. But, you know, it, it, when it's, you know, one, two questions for opposing counsel and you're peppering me with, you know, 20 questions or so, you know, it, it always raised an eyebrow for me at the end of the day. Right. And, and, and those are, are barriers that uh, many women uh, face who are of color. And, and, I, and I raised that issue because today there is a predominance of, of women African-American women who are moving into uh, these uh, positions that formerly were thought to be reserved for males, mm -hmm. uh, white males in, uh, in, in, in particular. So you, you, you break the ground in many uh, different uh, areas. And uh, so there's a lot of uh, challenge. But can you kind of uh, draw some distinctions between the barriers that you encountered while you were in uh, D.C. and the Maryland area and what you experienced as a prosecutor here in North Carolina, where there is more uh, emphasis on uh, the, uh, uh, the, the color and the gender uh, within the mindset of people that, you are, that you're working with? What I'd say is that in, in D.C., um, I didn't get a lot of the microaggressions that I got um, in North Carolina. Um, I find myself oftentimes in, in North Carolina more so going home wondering, you know, is this in my mind or is this really going on? Is this really an issue? <laughs> um, but it was like just the, the constant questioning or the, the weird looks or the, um, for some individuals, just the downright dismissal of me as an individual, even if I'm speaking or making a representation. Um, and again, a majority of this would happen in court. Um, and, and for a long time, I really couldn't put my finger on it. I think we as Black people as a collective generally always go home and try to think, okay, is this in my head or is it real? But I did come to the conclusion that more often than not, um, there were way more microaggressions here in North Carolina that I encountered, um, more so in, in court. On the flip side of that, in DC, even though it was more diverse um, and more supportive within the office, um, I think outside of the office, we got a, I say a collective, we got a lot of friction from, of course, the defense bar, but also just jury panels being skeptical of the prosecutions in that area. You had to fight harder <laughs> um, for a conviction up there, right? And, and I think that's why I tried more cases in DC because well, one, with the bar, they weren't, defendants weren't pleading as much, but two, um, in that environment, the, the jury panel was way more skeptical. Even our grand juries, <laughs> 
were more skeptical of our cases, which I loved personally, right? Because if the grand jury is questioning this, you know, it's probably something you need to throw away. Mm -hmm. um, so I appreciated the process, but it, it was a little more laborious up there because of the juries being more skeptical. So yeah. different, different emphasis in each area um, and a different kind of friction in both areas. Yeah. Yeah, this is a uh, uh, an exciting uh, discussion for me as I work through uh, what you're saying. Uh, and, and again, a lot of members of our audience aren't uh, really focused on the uh, the role of uh, of prosecutors and the powers that uh, that they have, and in particularly the uh, awesome. Uh, responsibility as an African-American and as a woman and trying to uh, break through uh, mm -hmm. that profession because there has been uh, historically a, uh, an exclusion of both, uh, 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 both on color and on uh, gender grounds. But we're going to take our break uh, right now. Let's remind our audience that uh, this is the uh, Legal Eagle Review here on W. NCU 90.7 uh, FM, and we're talking with uh, Professor Tamika Moses, who teaches uh, criminal procedure, evidence, and some writing courses at North Carolina Central University School of Law. After having worked as a uh, prosecutor, uh, and then uh, that uh, service being buttressed by uh, her work as a uh, social worker, uh, where the uh, law saved her sanity and uh, brought her uh, back uh, to us. But we're going to continue this uh, discussion after we take this uh, brief uh, break. So stay with us and we'll be right back. Hello, my name is Brittany Burks, and I'm currently A2L at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. And this is your community spotlight. The North Carolina Central University School of Law offers four certificate programs. Upon completion of the specified requirements, law students may earn a certificate in civil rights and constitutional law, dispute resolution, tax law, or justice in the practice of law. As a part of the Eagle Promise, NCCU School of Law offers our students four outcomes upon graduation. Completing a degree program on time, becoming socially and globally engaged, proving leadership, and graduating market ready. More information about any legal program is at 919-530-6610. My name is Brittany Burks with the Legal Eagle Review. Thank you for listening. Okay, we're back on the legal review and continuing this conversation with Professor Tamika Moses, uh, talking about uh, the work of the uh, prosecutors and uh, more particularly the uh, African American and uh, woman uh, prosecutor in uh, a field or an area of the law that traditionally has been dominated by uh, white males. And uh, over the last couple of uh, decades, really, there has been an opening up 
of the profession. Just from a historical perspective, uh, the first African-American in North Carolina to uh, be the uh, appointed U.S. attorney was Mickey Michaud. Uh, here from uh, from Durham, uh, North Carolina Central uh, grad who became the U.S. attorney during the uh, Jimmy Carter administration in uh, the middle district of, uh, of North Carolina. And uh, uh, there has not been a, a U.S. attorney of color uh, in the other districts until just recently when two of our grads uh, are now uh, appointed under the uh, Biden administration as the uh, U.S. attorney in the middle district and in the western uh, district. Uh, but the uh, eastern district does not have uh, the uh, pleasure of having an African-American as the U.S. attorney. Uh, so uh, just as a history point, I uh, wanted to just present that uh, to you and Professor Moses was in the Eastern District of, uh, of North Carolina in, in her role as an Assistant Attorney General. Uh, if you had to describe your work as a, uh, a prosecutor, uh, how, would you, how would you characterize it? If I had to describe it in one word, I'd say complicated. <laughs> complicated because of this tug of war that we kind of touched on throughout our conversation on the one end you recognize the fact that um that, listen some crimes just need to be prosecuted i mean that's just a reality um but on the other end of that spectrum you kind of had this back and forth about what's appropriate what should i charge that allows the judge to sentence someone to a minimum or maximum term of imprisonment based on the charge? Um, what should I recommend at sentencing based on this defendant's background and characteristics and prior criminal history? Um, when should I be more lenient, right? When should I be more harsh? It's, it's just a constant tug of war and there's really no right, um, not right, there's no perfect resolution, right? At the end of the day, you're kind of just doing the best that you can based on the information that you have available to you, right? And so it's just a very complex and difficult position to be in because if, if, you're, if you're thinking about justice um, and a just result, it's not easy. It's not as easy as just checking certain boxes or just here's my form set of charges for this particular situation. You really have to look at things on an individual level um, to make the appropriate decision. Well, you know, uh, and I'm gonna ask you now about uh, an, an area that we don't really talk about uh, that much. And that has to do with uh, your uh, uh, personal uh, life and interactions because you, as a prosecutor, you are not confined to your office. Uh, there are times that you are out in the world and out in the community. You go to dinner, you go to the park, go to the movie, any, any number of other uh, activities that you are engaged in as a part of your, uh, your personal life. Uh, have you had the experience of where you're, uh, in your personal life you encounter uh, people, individuals who you have had contact with 
in the office as a prosecutor uh, mm -hmm. that might have some uh, animosity uh, toward you or some uh, uh, disagreement with you that uh, might pose uh, safety uh, issues and concerns? And, and, and how, how, how have you dealt with those situations? You know, I'm one of the lucky few that hasn't really had any of those interactions. Um, towards the end of my clerkship, when I knew I was going into prosecution, I did something kind of crazy. I removed my internet print, right? So no social media accounts, no LinkedIn, no nothing. I removed everything because of that exact point. I was like, I'm going to be in a position where I'm recommending people go to jail, where I'm um, interrupting people's liberty. Um, and so I don't want them researching me <laughs> uh, while they have nothing but time to think about what my recommendation was. But I also think to a certain extent, the way I just dealt with people generally also contributed to me not getting into those situations because at the end of the day, everyone was treated with respect, right? Regardless of what charging recommendation I, I did, whatever I charged or whatever sentencing recommendation I made, it was always respectful. It was always outlined to the T so you knew where I was coming from. And I never treated anyone like, you know, you're, you're merely a defendant. You're, you're the lowest of the low. You belong under the jail, right? Like, and I think because I brought that to my practice, it really helped me kind of avoid those situations. Um, now there are situations where you just deal with one person who they don't care how you treat them. They're gonna come after you if they have the opportunity. And for that, I think that's just really luck or God's grace, I don't know. Um, that I never encountered um, that particular situation. I've had colleagues in DC be assaulted outside of the courthouse, right? And it's not because of anything they did. It's just the type of individual or maybe their family um, that they were prosecuting. And so unfortunately for them, they kind of encountered um, those experiences, but I have, I have not to date. Yeah, and, 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 and I think that, you know, people need to be aware that uh, there are safety concerns and issues that arise just because of uh, the uh, position that you're in and people not understanding or respecting uh, the uh, role that you play in the, uh, in, in the process. And I'm familiar with, you know, situations where uh, you might be at dinner and somebody recognize you and want to uh, encounter or mm -hmm. uh, express some hostility uh, toward the role that you had to assume as a part of that role. And that goes not just to federal prosecutors, but to uh, state prosecutors uh, as well. So in a large extent, you, 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 you put yourself in a cage and you mm -hmm. have to be very guarded about uh, where you are, what you're doing, who you are uh, around and who you are allowing to be uh, around you, and I think right. that most people don't really think about uh, that uh, that side of uh, or that uh, implication of the uh, role that uh, that you're in. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, and, and so I I I, <laughs> I, I really uh, and and the same thing goes for for defense attorneys as well. Uh, you know, if you're in the system, you can become a target. That's right. Uh, and uh, but it's probably more so directed toward uh, those individuals who have become uh, prosecutors. Uh, but did, did, is there something else you want to kind of elaborate on, on that end of it? Because you have, I know you have children and you're out and about. 
And uh, notwithstanding the absence of uh, Facebook and all mm -hmm. those other social media contact, people do research and they That's find right. out about That's you right. or they recognize you at uh, Food Line. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think I've had like a few, maybe like one or two close calls where I recognize someone first. And so I like make a beeline. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I just always remain vigilant, but and not only because of like what I did or, or you know, what role I played, but also just in, in the times we're in right now, you kind of have to remain vigilant about your, your surroundings. Um, to make sure that you are safe. And if anything is um, of a danger to you, you'll be able to exit prop, you know, promptly and, and save yourself. So again, luckily I've, I've been very lucky, but I do still you know, remain vigilant when I'm out and make sure that um, I'm in a safe environment. We rescued you, <laughs> allowed you and allowed you to come to the uh, law school to, uh, to, to, to teach. Uh, can you kind of talk about that transition and mm -hmm. your, your thoughts in making that transition and whether that was a viable choice on your part to move from the prosecutorial level to the profess professorial uh, level where you're now in the uh, uh, area of uh, preparing people to go mm -hmm. out on yeah. this uh, journey that you've gone through? Yeah, I would say that the... Um, it has been an adjustment, but it has been a rewarding adjustment. Um, I've really enjoyed my first year as a professor. And I think for me, when I was thinking of what was next, I still was on that, um, I was still relying on that goal of like making change some kind of way, right? So when I think about change in, a, in the role as a professor, I can still impact the criminal justice system through my writing, through my scholarship, um, by encouraging my students to look closely at cases, to really go and um, be involved with current events, the things that they're passionate about. Um, and also encourage them to just look closely at everything, right? Don't just rely on what someone on a blog writes or what the news may say. Go in there and, and do your own research, read the cases on your own and, and make it make sense for you, right? And when I think about my conversations with students in particular who are interested in prosecutions, I always encourage them to do their research, right? If this is something you think you wanna do, think about what your goal is. Why do you wanna be a prosecutor? Um, if your goal is to make change or affect change from the inside, then you might wanna find one of those more progressive offices, right? Who may not be charging low level offenses or something along those lines. That might be more um, a better fit for you than a more traditional office. And so for me, I think you know, my goal is always just to share my experiences um, to give the students the tools they need to be successful attorneys, regardless of if they want to be prosecutors or not. And for those who want to be prosecutors, just really give them um, an insider's view of what the role is like and what they should consider when they're thinking about their next step. And, and the one thing I highlight from that is for me, when I was thinking about prosecutions and, and, and how I could make change, um, I didn't consider the fact that, you know, you, most of the decisions are coming from that front office, right? I'm, I'm merely a line attorney. So yes, I have some discretion, but most of that discretion is coming from the top and then trickling down to us. So, you know, whatever decision is made up there is what we more often than not have to follow. And so that's something I really emphasize for my students who are thinking about prosecution because I don't want them to get the impression that they make all the, you know, they call all the shots and they make all of the decisions. I don't want them to be disappointed 
um, once they get in a position and realize, no, there's a hierarchy to all of this. Well, you know, students come from the real world. <laughs> they, they, they are out and about in the, in, in the community and they bring with them the same feelings, the same uh, uh, philosophies, the same political uh, uh, points uh, that uh, people generally have. Uh, and as you talk with them in the law school context, uh, what experiences have you had with having to deal with uh, uh, the skepticism uh, that students might have about being a uh, prosecutor or their possible role in the uh, criminal uh, process as someone who becomes a, a career uh, prosecutor? In, in, in the sense that as a prosecutor, uh, the advancement opportunities are limited. Mm -hmm. uh, because you are either an assistant or a supervisor, or you're the person in charge. Mm -hmm. And if you're the person in charge, then your tenure typically is limited uh, by a, a particular time frame right. uh, that you are uh, appointed. So how do you deal with that uh, with students? And what has been your experience with them? Yeah, you know, funny enough, I haven't received any skepticism from the students. If anything, you know, students are like, you know, Originally, I thought criminal defense only, but after meeting you and talking to you, maybe prosecutions for me. And I think that's when I just go back to setting expectations and making sure that they do their homework and really understand um, what the position is all about. Because I, I, I think on the one hand, while representation matters and I'm happy to you know, aspire folks to become a prosecutor, I wanna make sure that they make a decision that's a good fit for them. And this goes back to the conversation I have with my friends when I first considered prosecution, when they were like, is it a good fit for you and your goals? Do they align with that? Because it's hard work, it's stressful, it's complex as we discussed, it's complicated. Um, and you wanna make sure that you're doing this or entering it for the, for the right reasons, right? So I just encourage students to take a step back, really consider both positions, maybe do some internships on both sides to get a feel for what it's like and then really just make a decision based on that. And of course, do their research in terms of what office would be the best fit for them. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's a lot. You know, on uh, OWN Network, that's the Oprah Winfrey uh, Network, uh, there is this series called uh, All Rides. Oh, yes. Uh, in which there is an uh, African-American female judge uh, African-American uh, prosecutors, Hispanic uh, defense attorneys mm -hmm. and uh, uh, from the public defender's office. And uh, it talks about the interactions that, uh, that they have and the various type cases, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is just a, a, a great portrayal of what the real world is like yeah. uh, for, uh, for, for, for attorneys who are in the uh, involved in the criminal uh, process. Have, have you had an opportunity to see uh, any of those episodes? Yeah, I followed it. I followed it since it was on, was it ABC or NBC, one of the major networks before it yeah. went to own? Yeah. Right, so I've, I've, I've followed the prior seasons. I've only seen a few of the episodes since it's transitioned over to own, but I am familiar okay. with the show. And, and, and tell, me, tell me about your, uh, your, 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 your analysis of what it is that they are attempting to do. 
I, I think they are, are doing one of the better jobs of kind of painting a more accurate picture of what the dilemmas are um, that are involved in the process. Um, me, I tend to avoid those shows because they are the bane of my existence, right? <laughs> I spent a, a, some portions of my closing arguments talking about, you know, I know you like CSI or whatever the show, <laughs> Law and Order, but this is not that, right? Because I think it sets unrealis unrealistic expectations for the general population. But what they do pretty well is kind of showing on the prosecution side, right? That struggle within the office with your supervisor, what to charge, what not to charge. Do I dismiss this case? What do I do with this, right? I, I think they do a great job with that. And even from the defense side, does my client plead or not? Do we go to trial? What do we do? You know, and all of the struggles that are kind of involved in that particular decision. I think they, they take a very balanced approach to showing each portion of the process. And when you think about from the judicial point of view um, in the main character, Lola Carmichael and, and the decisions she has to make in terms of you know, am I being an activist from the bench and things like that? The show is just, it, it, again, they do a very balanced job of kind of showing all the dilemmas that are inherent in this particular process. And from the judicial perspective, I like how the Black woman is the head character because you also get some of that racial um, mm -hmm. conflict as well as gender conflict and considerations that also play into those roles. So it's not perfect, but I think they do a fairly good job of, of showing yeah. all of that throughout yeah, I, the show. Yeah, I certainly uh, share your uh, sentiments about the authenticity of it, or the more correct <laughs> uh, version of how the process really works uh, in, uh, in, in the real world. Uh, Tamika Moses, thank you so very much for uh, sharing uh, this uh, this time uh, with us and uh, your uh, uh, sharing your experiences uh, as a uh, prosecutor. And I hope that our audience has, has been able to uh, glean a little bit more about the uh, role and functions and powers of uh, prosecutors and the uh, uh, desirability of having more and more African-American and women uh, to uh, become a part of that side of the, uh, of the profession. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's always an honor to speak with you. Okay. And uh, thank you to our audience for sharing this time uh, with us and listening to uh, Professor uh, Moses uh, talk about her experience. Uh, we want you to be well informed. Uh, and uh, for some reason, if you want to go back and uh, look at this, uh, listen to this program again, we're on uh, uh, Zoom, Instagram. Uh, and uh, podcasts uh, that you can uh, pick up. So thank you again for uh, joining with us uh, this evening. And we look forward to seeing you all again uh, next week here on the Legal Eagle Review. So good evening.